Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Nishant Trivasta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to episode 12 for season 11. Now, this episode was recorded on Saturday, the 23rd of April, 2021, for release on the 12th of May. This episode is sponsored by MongoDB RealmSync. I'm Drew Freeman with my in the hot seat co-host Nishant Shravasta. Nishant has been a GDG organizer in several countries, has had successful and lucrative open source projects, and is of course the co-host for the RayWinder.com podcast for season 11. So it's time for me to say, Nishant, welcome to the hot seat. Thanks, Drew. It's a very unique feeling sitting on the other side and not being the one asking questions. So I think I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy this episode. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's, and you've been through it at least 11 times this season. So we'll ask you really simple questions. For example, if you were a polywog, what pillow would you bring for lunch? <laughs> All right, maybe uh, not something like that. But let's, let's just, uh, well, let's ask you the, 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 the famous question we ask everybody, and that is, with all of the stuff that you have done and do, what do you do for fun that's not tech? This question, I think um, we have asked almost all the guests, and it's been a very unique one always. Um, in my case, I would say I was doing a lot of different things before the pandemic, but now it's been now mellowed down to like just going out in the nature, biking a lot. I've, I I recently got myself a, a better bike, I would say. And I've been biking out in the nature, disconnected completely, just having my watch and that's it, not even my phone. And I'm just going out for uh, like adventure biking, let's say. And it's been fun. It's It's been pretty nice. Um, and making sure that I'm busy in this sense and not just looking at a screen all the time. <laughs> Is Berlin basically flat or are there a lot of hills? It is mostly flat, I would say, but I have, um, like in certain areas, they, they do have uphill that you have to go. So, but it's, it's mostly flat. It's pretty nice to bike around in the city as well as around the city. Um, mostly flat. Yeah. And how has lockdown been in Berlin? Ah, well, we were in a good shape before, but now it's been... Like it's an on and off situation. We don't have like a full lockdown ever. Um, it just changes a little bit and then they open up a little bit and then they close down again. So right now, I think we are in a good position, I would say, overall. Uh, you can go outside, you can go do exercise, bike around the city, but there's con contact restrictions that you can't meet a lot of people. But it's it's been good otherwise. Okay. All right, let's dive into it. You have been a GDG organizer in several countries. Yes. Um, for those who are not Android-blessed, can you explain what a GDG is? GDG stands for Google Developer Group, uh, and this is more of a community that Google supports um, for the ecosystem that they have created around their technologies. So GDGs are more of a generic uh, community. Uh, they would cater to anything that is Google technology. So it could be Google Cloud, it could be Android, it could be Flutter also, and like various other things that, that Google has built over a period of time. Um, but let's just say that since the time that they started, they actually expanded into everything that's possible in terms of technology. 
uh, or where developers would be interested. So it's not just Google all the time. Um, people also give talks and attend talks that are related to other technologies. Now, you've been the GDG organizer in several countries, uh, India, Canada. Have you done one in, in uh, Germany yet? No, no. I, I have attended GDGs uh, in Berlin, uh, but I have not been one of the organizers in, in these GDGs. Okay, but you have done it in India and Canada. Yes. So what is it like organizing one of these communities, and how is it different between the two countries? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, a lot of people, when they organize um, GDGs, they usually look at their demographic, um, exactly what kind of um, people have interest, and then they set up a GDG that caters to this audience. When... I started doing this um, or basically got into organizing a GDG um, in India initially. It was a very unique setup. Uh, I started with one of my other colleague uh, or my, my college mate, I should say not colleague, um, Vikram Tiwari. And we basically just started this GDG in India. And that was only university uh, targeting. But what we found out that as we grew out, we could actually target more people and they have more of this interest. So... This was something that was in India because then you have like a lot of people coming to you. And obviously, because we have such a huge population that also brings in more people than you would expect in a in a normal GDG or a standard tech community. But when I was doing this in Canada, this was very different because there the, the population is not so large. Right. So the amount of people uh, that would come into the GDG meetup would be not as much. However, the difference in, in the two, at least the version between India and Canada that I saw was that usually the, the interest in, in the Indian uh, GDGs is very different. Um, it's not very focused. People are more expanding towards um, different technologies at the same time. But in Canada, it was very different because people wanted focused interest. So they would be like, we just want to do Google Cloud stuff. So for this was the reason that the GDG that we had in Canada was actually called GDG Cloud Vancouver. So it was very focused to cloud technologies. Um, GDG as a whole, I think, as a community, it's kind of the same in both sides. But the focus uh, metric is a bit different. People want to be very focused on, say, outside India. But in India, everyone is kind of looking at all the technologies uh, at the same time. It's uh, it's interesting that you started um, in India in, in the university. I, I've discovered that universities are a really great place to start organizations in general, just because there's a lot of um, young, interested minds that want to grab onto whatever kind of socialization they can, even if it's tech or or organization based. So. Once you get this thing rolling, what is it like from from meeting to meeting? How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it going? This is, uh, I would say, it's not easy. It feels like it is an easy task to do and that you just organize meetups and like have these um, community just come to a certain date and then someone gives a talk. It's actually hard. So 
when 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 I was doing this along with my other team members, you cannot do it usually alone. That's very important. I want to mention this that it was not just me doing it. We had a full team. Uh, we kind of brought in more people who were more focused towards uh, organizing the community and wanted to help out. So in that sense, it was it was the whole team kind of managing everything, figuring out who is going to be giving the next talk, what the topics are going to be. And also, like, if the audience is actually interested in those topics, like, we could come up with a topic that the audience would be fine, let's say, in in attending those talks. But what if we could get, deliver talks that they were really interested in, and then we could bring in more people and impart more relevant knowledge? So... During the process, uh, as I said, it's it's not easy. You have to manage calendars. You have to make sure the speakers are going to be present. Uh, the content is good. You have to also think about um, a specific date is important that everyone can attend. So deciding on a date is, is uh, pretty uh, hard to do that because we have to decide on uh, this date that uh, the speaker could actually also be available on and the, the audience could be available on. And it needs to match a certain timing that that that's, let's say, professionals are not in their work day. They are not, this is not, the time is not coinciding then. And it was not the time when we were doing this virtual meetups, right? Like, because those would basically mean that you could just record this event in a, in a YouTube stream and then they can watch it later. So this thing was a bit different in that sense. And um, I think overall, we we managed it with a with a lot of other team members. Um, it does sounds like it is easy, but it's not easy. You know, it really sounds like you should possibly wind up producing a podcast. It's not that far different with finding the guests, finding the timing, finding the resources. It, it's it's really been pretty much the same thing behind the scenes for the podcast. So you've got this community, and you've got your guests, and you've got it rolling, and things are are going from from meeting to meeting what do people get out of it uh, apart from you know a sense of community what what kind of things do people get out of that again each of these uh, meetups that we are doing this is is not very um it's, it's kind of a bit generic so allowing people to have various other um, interest in, uh, when they are attending these meetups um they could be a talk on let's say on android on the same day and there could be a talk on UI UX and then related to cloud also. Um, and usually when people are attending this, they are either interested in two of the talks and not all three of them. So they get the information regarding the one particular technology that they are interested in. But from time to time, the community would also want to learn about how to maybe say, manage people or do something that's not related to tech also. So GDG also kind of does uh, some of these talks where they will talk about if, say, for example, how to be a speaker and give talks at the meetup itself. So these kind of like informational knowledge based, how you thrive in the tech industry, something related to even say, if you wanted to get into a certain uh, company, how would you approach the interview process? Some of these like very unique topics are also brought in, but it be it is based mostly on what the audience would would want from the meetup. So GDG overall is just just sitting on the top, making sure that everything is running smooth. Um, but this could also be any other community. It's not very limited to GDG. I think 
any community organizer is supposed to do the same kind of stuff as in they make sure that the that the machine is running smoothly but what is the the work that you need to extract from it is totally on the audience what they would want to want uh, to to get from this community so you said when things are running smoothly yes <laughs> does everything always run smoothly or are there problems along the way there are i think there was not even one meetup that we can say that ran completely smooth like there is <laughs> always something that's going wrong and that's actually that's something that you learn from the process is that you learn to handle these adverse situations that you did not plan for at all so i remember one of the instances um, we were kind of like there was this meetup that we organized and the speaker was supposed to come in and at the last moment i think just like probably 40 minutes before the meetup we got a email saying the speaker cannot make it because the person is sick and like we could not even ask them like can you even make an effort to come because like once you are sick it doesn't just work out so mm-hmm. that's when like you have to brainstorm and like how do we fill in because the 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 meetup is already full there's probably i think at least in india there were like 90 people coming into the one meetup and that's like you're like 90 people sitting in there waiting for the talk to happen but there's no speaker so yeah i think something like this tricky thing happens i think there was this other one also um where we kind of like we organized a bigger event it was not like say for an hour but it was on a full sunday um, and we ran it for like probably 8 hours or something it was hackathon plus something else and and involving all of this there was supposed to be food delivered during the process um but the food actually did not get delivered and we were like kind of stuck in the process that we were like what what are we supposed to do with this so i hope you're seeing the parallels between the gdg and the podcast as we've been through all of these things this season we've had guests that we've had to reschedule we've had technical difficulties we've uh, we're having technical difficulties during this episode <laughs> that we'll we'll do our best to edit out but uh nishant's um internet has been a little bit harsh today so if i seem like i'm just sort of blankly responding to things on the video <laughs> that will explain to you what's going on so we we talked about the gdg community and the tech community in general what other kind of communities uh, have you what other groups have you been associated with and how is it different from either tech or gdg i think because we are mostly uh, talking about tech is why we always talk about tech um, communities there's like uh, gdg as we mentioned very specific one uh, organized from google uh, there's um, there's also ones from mozilla and a lot of them so but apart from these i've definitely attended couple of other meetups uh, when i was in canada i remember i i was in something that was for startups specifically um then there was um, meetups that you could also go which was about being how to be a better person um as in improving how you talk and how you actually empathize with people <laughs> um then there are meetups that you can actually attend which is more or less uh, for building your hobby so like one that i attended was um this was in india um where you could learn how to make like a clay pot or something and it's just a normal meet up a couple of uh, people coming in and learning a different um skill let's say and this was not their core uh, um like 
topic, but rather once in a while they will do something new. So one of the things that they also were talking about, um, I attended one of the meetup, which was about how to bind a book, which sounds like it's not something that you would do, but like it's it's very nice to learn. And when you do something like that in the in the meetup, um, you learn a lot of these like skills uh, over a period of time. So and these meetups um, and these communities are very nice. They are very helpful. You get to meet a lot of people, which I think is it, it ties back to the tech, but in tech, we have this sense that it has to have a certain topic related to tech, right? And that's where people are actually, there's two words when we talk about tech. There's one for the tech and then against the tech. And this happens all the time in the, in the tech community. People are like, I like Android, but I also like Flutter. Um, but in other meetups, I, I have found that it's very, it's very unique. People actually are just there to learn something. Um, and that's something I like. I, I prefer that and I hope people attend those communities too. They attend these meetups and they try to learn what's the what's something new. It's something new skill that they can learn from these. All season, I would not have picked you as somebody who throws clay or book binds. <laughs> One of the things that I entirely forgot to mention uh, last week and I think goes in with the entire um theme of this season is the uh the the community called toastmasters which is an organization specifically designed to help people do public speaking yes and um it, it's a wonderful organization i've actually sat in on a few of their meetings and uh even as somebody who is a regular public speaker it can be a little bit daunting but it's a it's a wonderful experience i've uh done a couple of meetups myself i i um i i did hold an iOS meetup, which uh, actually I, I held a regional programmers meetup, which which uh, garnered no iOS or, or Apple based technologies whatsoever. I, I, I felt kind of out of there because, you know, the, the tech industry always has people go, well, I like this and I hate that. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm also uh, uh, in a couple of Apple meetup type groups as well. And a couple of personal ones. So it's really wonderful. Uh, uh, the crafting and the art meetups are great because sometimes it's just like, well, we're going to talk about crocheting. But if you've got yarn and you want to knit or you've got uh, thread and you want to cross stitch, who cares? Just come in and, and have a good time. Yeah. And it's something that I guess most people don't think about, at least in the tech industry. Uh, a lot of software engineers, a lot of new developers who are coming in, they're like, I want to be part of this Android community. I want to be part of this and this. But like, that's good. I, I mean, you're already doing this at your work. Maybe you want to enhance your knowledge. That's that's something you can attend the, the meetup for. But they forget that there's like thousands of these different communities that you can be part of and you can learn so much different stuff. So my point is that I, I guess more people should go and attend these meetups and these communities as much as they can. So you escaped easily this season. We didn't have tech of the week this time. It was it was all soft skills. So you didn't walk away from this season going, I want to learn that tech and I want to learn this tech and I want to let that tech. Yes. This one just I want to go speak and be director of engineering somewhere. Yeah, this was uh, this was you know, a unique, uh, I would say, season. <laughs> We had a lot. We had a lot of. Uh, we had a lot of uh, people high on the food chain. Yes, <laughs> that was that was really nice. It was nice being able to ask them. So I'm going to uh, change gears on you. Mm -hmm. We uh, we compile notes uh, for you know just 
questions and such. So, of course, I'm going to go completely off book because that'll take Nishant off guard. And that's to talk about season 11. This, this um, as, as some people are aware, I think we've mentioned it, Nishant actually auditioned for three different seasons. And this was the season we picked, we picked you up because you were just the, the best and probably the most persistent of everybody. You uh, came into your interview with, uh, with, uh, with notes ready to go. How does it feel on the other end of the season? It feels very different, I would say. Um, I think during the process of um, like even applying for it and also going through the full season, like 11 episodes now, um, I have been the one who has been asking questions because I always have this like inquisitive behavior. I'm like, I'm curious. I have so many questions from people, as you said, who are like at the top of this food chain. And this time I'm on the other side and this is exactly how we 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 were talking about I, I think in the last episode like about public speaking and then you're feeling nervous about it even though you know what you're doing but you're like I'm I'm I think I'm not like completely nervous but a bit nervous that am I giving the right information but this all comes mm-hmm. from my personal experience so I think in that sense this would be correct <laughs> Is it how you envisioned it or has it been very different? I think this is how I envisioned it. It is, it's maybe a little bit different because up till now, my version would have been that I actually went on a podcast and then someone interviewed me, right? But now this is the, it's a change of gear. I was the co-host and now I'm getting interviewed from my another host, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a bit mixed in here, but yeah, it's, it's it's in the same groove. So I, I am liking it. I like the, the whole the season itself. I definitely learned a lot. And overall, I think that because we have, we have this huge knowledge that we have acquired over the season, over multiple episodes, uh, by this time, I personally also feel that I have more confidence talking about different topics now because every single guest who has been on this season has been like, impeccable they've been talking about so many nice different things um and yeah it's it's been super nice for me is there anything in particular that it's stood out for you this season is there is there any any memory whatsoever that that you really you're going to carry out with you hmm. i think the episode we had with uh, with fernando uh, chaos uh, chaos yes yes that one we had a lot of fun i would say uh, that definitely mm-hmm. would be something that I'll remember. And that episode was also like, we, we went over time and we said we want to do another episode <laughs> because we were having so much fun uh, discussing so many different things. And obviously, Fernando has been like really um, like on point with all the different points that he was mentioning. Mm-hmm. He was talking about so many nice uh, uh, directions that people don't think about. So... I think I I got a lot of things that I personally wanted to get from that episode, um, and that was super nice. Um, but like we should not forget that we also had a very nice episode from with uh, Kate, uh, who talked about all oh, the yeah. different things about like social justice, and that's a, that's a very hard topic. So having someone mm-hmm. talk about it just like elevates you in in what you have been at a certain level you now understand more things because there's someone who already has understood and they're explaining it to you so uh, i i i probably would mention every single episode because everyone was really good but yeah these two stand out (laughs) for me these two was something that i actually personally enjoyed a lot and i'm i'm definitely gonna remember them 
Robert. Yeah, Kate was uh, one I was going to mention as a personal favorite just because uh, it really delved into some really difficult topics and and was not afraid to go there. Yeah, it was fun. The RayWenderlick.com podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. MongoDB knows that the number one thing mobile developers care about is happy users, or five-star reviews. Users expect your app to run fast, work offline, and keep data in sync across devices, all without hogging data or draining their battery life. That's why they've introduced MongoDB Realm Sync, an edge-to-cloud data sync that handles conflict resolution and networking code for you. It works on any platform and is fully serverless, scaling up and down with your app as needed. MongoDB Realm Sync makes it simple to keep your data synced whenever devices are online. See for yourself by signing up and getting $25 towards your mobile app project at trymongodb.com slash Ray with code Ray25. The life of a co-host on the podcast is fairly short. What? would you advise for somebody else who wants to host or co-host the uh, the podcast? What kind of things have you learned that you really want to advise or, or, or help mentor the next person? That I have not thought about, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's the question that you caught me off guard with. Um, let's say, okay, so there's two things that I actually figured out work pretty well for us. And maybe I would hope that um, someone who is running their podcast is also doing this thing. Um, and the, this is what maybe Drew already mentioned, that we have this common notes, uh, a Google Doc that we kind of share and we discuss um, information in it. And this this doc is not like, like a script. It's more like a set of bunch of topics or questions that we could just talk about if we are maybe running out of topics, let's say, right? So that's something that I would suggest other podcast uh, hosts also do this. Um, even the ones who come after me in, in Raymond Delic podcast, uh, if they try to, doing that, they will definitely have a lot of edge um, working through this. Um, and then the second one that I actually really understood over a period of time is that we need to be um, make sure that your gear works <laughs> all the time. <laughs> because we have had technical issues uh, even though we have like proper gear and like this even if you have like a fully functional like drew has a really nice microphone right and sometimes that also bugs out <laughs> which is a thing as we said there nothing ever works perfectly and we maybe making sure that you have have your gear yes but also have a backup gear ready which actually Drew has, I don't have a backup gear, let's just say. And uh, Drew is prepared for this. He's been here for like a pretty long time, a lot of seasons. We talked about that in the last episode also. So having a backup gear also is going to be very helpful. If you are going to be doing podcasts for a long time, uh, make sure that you have your your gear, your, your microphone, your everything, lighting, everything working. <laughs> do you think you're going to stay and do other podcasts? If you're, Do you think you might start one of your own or do you think you might try to get on other podcasts? I do think there is one podcast where I might be going on. <laughs> that's tentative. Excellent. I, yes, <laughs> that would be nice. This year, that's going to happen. I actually did not attempt any podcast before getting into this one, but I was interested. But now that I have the taste of exactly how these things work and everything, I'm super interested in doing this. Um, I do also have this uh, 
like thought process of like actually starting my own podcast. I have a very different domain. Probably people would think I would start something on Android. Maybe there will be a little bit of Android, but the general focus is not going to be Android. I have uh, I have a vision that maybe we are doing a lot of tech focused stuff, but we are not doing a lot of soft skill based one, which we did for this season. And that's where the idea mm-hmm. came through. I was like, hmm, what if we could mix both and do something similar? So I'll see how this turns out. It's not going to be exactly like how I'm saying it. I'm obviously going to iterate over it. But the idea is that I would definitely want to get into doing some sort of podcast stuff. Well, definitely keep us posted so that we know and we can we can try to promote things as appropriate. Yes. <laughs> I'm really thrilled. Now, diving back into your tech knowledge. You happen to be someone who has grasped onto and found a lot of success in the open source world. Yeah. How do, how does one find their way? Now we've we've asked this to a lot of people this season, but I want to ask you as well. How do you find your way into the open source world? Yeah. I think the the very first thing that actually worked for me, uh so I can talk from my experience is that you don't directly go into open source just because you want to go into open source right that that decision should come from is this something that i want to share with the world and is it a problem that i solve for myself and would be solving the problem for other people that's when you go out and you say i have this project that i built and i see it solving a certain problem and i'm making it open source so that i can get contribution from other folks who would be interested in the in the process of evolving this project as well as because it is open source i'm i'm agreeing that i'm fine people looking at my code my messy code it's not the perfect code and i would want to learn from other people who actually know how to write good code so that's where the 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 drive should come from uh it should not come from like i want to open source code because i don't know like i like i would like to put it on my resume right that's not the right uh, um i would say drive to start with it but if someone actually really do want to do this i the way that i would suggest people look into this is that first try to solve a problem that you are having then make it as a standard project so that other people can consume this solution and then just make it open source that's that way at least you are passionate about this problem that you solve but if you if you are not connected to this project itself you're going to abandon the open source project which happens <laughs> a lot which is which is pretty common we can see that on github a lot of like abandoned projects all all the time I I came at it myself from two different directions. The first one was working with a company, we needed a third-party library that did something, and I found one in Objective C, um old old uh Apple language. It's hard to say that one's an old Apple language being only 5 years. Yeah. Um and I converted it to Swift and I I put it in there and they were like great you own that now <laughs> i was like oh oops that yeah, happens there, there, you know you, you go into an you go into an open source directory uh, out of need and that that i think is has been a key phrase for a lot of things in the tech industry is if you're motivated by need you've got good motivation if you're motivated from i want to be there 
You're not. Um, the other one was my personal project that I've worked on. I th always felt that the library itself would be helpful to other people. Uh, the, one of the lower libraries that I, I came up with, it's a series of ways of connecting things like um, planets, because I'm doing an astronomy astrology um, <laughs> app. And uh, I, I just found a way to organize all of that stuff in, in a library. And uh, I've always felt like I should turn that into an open source, but uh, haven't yet because I don't think the code's clean enough. Yeah. But apparently, as you've said, you know, the code doesn't have to be completely clean. So, so you get into, into um, open source. Obviously, this doesn't work very well for everybody. What 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 goes wrong trying to get into open source? What 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 are some of the, the pitfalls? Yeah, that's uh, that's what actually people don't talk about it. Uh, once you actually release a, a open source project, imagine everyone likes it and people are like, "Oh, this is a very nice project. I want to use this." And they start using it. That's where the the the, the things go start going wrong. Because now first the only user for that project was you because you're building it and you had a certain requirement. Everything worked out of the box for you. You published it to GitHub or any other uh, Git versioning system that's hosted. So it could be GitLab also. Uh, and once that is out there, this is when people actually start using your project, but they don't take it from your requirement. They have their own requirements. And what actually does not work in open source pretty nicely is that when people will actually reach out to you by creating issues of feature request. So there are, there are multiple types of issues that you can create. There's one issue that you can create that the project has some bugs, which is nice because they are telling you, you can improve your code, you can improve the project. But what is actually not useful is that people have this feature request that you as a developer, as a as an open source developer is actually developing like after your work hours or in your free time, right? So sometimes the developer is motivated enough that they will pick up the feature request and they will just go ahead and try to implement that solution, which is pretty good. That depends on the developer. But it goes wrong when people actually start talking bad about it because a certain feature request is not going through. And that's what I think is usually the thing that open source developers face all the time. Um, they they kind of notice this and they are like, like, how do I do this? I, I, ha I am doing this on my free time. I'm doing this after work and it's not quite useful for me. So uh, maybe I might not invest time into it, but the the, the, the world doesn't understand that. So they, they open up this issue and they talk like bad things sometimes. <laughs> which is not a good way to approach to people like you. I think one thing that people should understand is that when you're talking or when you're commenting on the internet, you need to understand that you're talking to a human. Don't write anything in a comment, <laughs> <laughs> in a comment that you would not say someone, uh, say to someone in person. So I've definitely seen <laughs> comments um, in my issue list. Now you also have discussions where people would write like, not good things, let's just say. They are. They will say that um, you as a developer is not a good enough because you're not able to implement the feature. You are not doing this for this, this reason and something else, which overall demotivates the, the open source developer itself. And considering they don't have enough time for this, they are not incentivized with this. They just 
kind of just start losing motivation over the project. So that's that goes wrong. And another thing that I've also seen is that sometimes people would just ask for things that does not make sense. So something that I always talk about when people are talking about open source, uh, and I mentioned this, is that every project has a focus. But people, when they will come to you uh, looking at your open source project, they would be like, I want this new thing to happen, but it has no relation with the focus of the project, right? So people mostly are not helpful in that sense because they are trying to deviate the project into a certain direction that works for them, but maybe not for everyone. So that's something that you will see a lot also in the open source uh, repositories, people making these requests. Again, this is something that someone has to spend time maintaining it by telling them every single time, this is not the main goal of the project. You need to read the readme of the project to understand what the actual goal of the project is. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that happens like almost every day, I would say. <laughs> You know, if we could actually convince people on the Internet that when they make a remark or a comment, they're talking to a human, that would actually really make the Internet a nicer place to be. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, no, I'm having an argument because somebody on the Internet is wrong. Oh, no. People, people don't, um, don't understand that aspect of the, the human aspect when they, are, when they are interacting online. They just feel like, oh, it's a comment. I'll just write it out and I'm done. But that's not how it works. <laughs> and the problem is, even if you have a README or a blog, it doesn't mean people are going to read it. It's TLDR there. It's, <laughs> it's oh my God, there's reading to do. I just want code. Yeah. Now, you talked about GitHub. Um, most sites have their their system of this is good, this is bad. And, and GitHub, unfortunately, has the stars. Yeah. And that can give a false sense. Um, they can give a false sense of whether or not code is good or not, just because people have taken the time to say, I like it. Yeah, that's uh, you, you use actually a very good term when you when you say that. So the way that stars GitHub stars actually specifically for GitHub, we are talking about rights, right? It's not on I think it's not there on, on other Git hosting website like Bitbucket does not have it. I'm pretty sure GitLab also doesn't have it. So GitHub in general, when it gives you the ability to to start a repository um, that should be taken as a like as you said the, the the term is is very specific if you consider it as a like it comes as a different emotion a lot of people like the project but it does not say that this project is of say 100% quality the misconception though is that a lot of actually the new people who jump into open source and they, they make an account on GitHub, they're like, oh, this repository has 5,000 stars. This, this repository code is going to be really good. Well, it turns out this repository is liked by 5,000 people, but the code is not as good as you would imagine a really nice project to be. I know there are projects that have like 100 stars because not a lot of people like the project, but it is of impeccable quality. It has like all the tests written. It is really nicely, uh, the code is real well architected. Um, it follows almost all good guidelines of a project, open source project, and it, it works pretty nicely. So that's, that's what people don't quite understand this, but when they start doing open source, their idea is that how can I get as many stars as possible?
Okay, you use the terminology. I have to throw it back at you. What makes a good, what are the good guidelines of an open source project? Yeah. Because uh, we are talking about now GitHub and, and all these open source repository, uh, I would mention some stuff that maybe works for GitHub in general, but it could also go with other uh, repository uh, or Git hosted uh, repositories. Um, the general idea is that when you make an open source project, a couple of things that if, if people keep in mind, it simplifies the process of how other contributions they can get for their open source code. So when you create a new project, if you don't include a license, then that basically means that it is private code, even though it is open source, people can see it, they can't use this code. So including a license is very essential to making a, a nice successful project overall. You, When you declare a license, you tell how the collaboration is gonna be possible. It could be a GPL license, it could be um, it could be the, the Mozilla license, it could be the Apache license, and they all have their specific um, criteria based on which you can actually use the product uh, or use the project and then you can also contribute back to it. Can you use it commercially? Can you not use it commercially? All of this stuff is related to license. Another thing that people need to be aware about is to have a, a code of con conduct, which I think not a lot of repositories actually included, but the nice ones actually do. So I know um, I actually contributed to um, this project, which is really nice. I would want people to check it out. Um, this is uh, called Akira, and this is a sketch version for Linux systems. And mm -hmm. they basically started this, uh, I think, uh, last year or something. And the first thing that I did there was I just went in and I added a code of conduct because when you have a bigger project, then you're going to be open to the public. And people are not going to follow code of conduct. This is what I was talking like. You need to understand that you're talking to humans um, when you're talking online. So that's what the code of conduct highlights. It says exactly how people should behave and how they're going to be working with. Uh, this is like superficial stuff. Like, let's say this is all text that people need to read. But then the other thing that actually is helpful in a successful project is that you don't want humans to be making checks in pull request. So you want to automate all of that stuff. So what I mean by this, like imagine there's an Android library that's just been published out there. And then every time someone opens a pull request, someone goes in and comments, can you format the code in the right standard format? Can you make it remove the white spaces um, at the end of the line or something? Mm -hmm. So all of this thing, I don't think so if the the maintainer, the, the, the person maintaining the project should be caring about. If you want to make sure that you are able to remove as much friction as there is to make a release, then please automate all of that stuff. And that's how you become successful because people can see that you are releasing pretty fast. When a certain change comes in, you add in all the checks run, you're 100% sure everything is working and you make a release right away, which is what most of your, at least the person using your open source project want. They want to see updated code. They want to have 
code that is being maintained over a period of time and not mm-hmm. having to like worry about this all the time and then obviously the general stuff that exists with a project and this is i think uh, that that goes with any project in general is that you need to have a nice readme that talks about the project you need to have a wiki that is hosted uh, on maybe github pages that could work out for you um having issues with labels uh, that could be like that that highlight how different segments of uh, developers who can contribute to the project so there could be a issue that is labeled as good first time issue allowed uh, allowing beginners to contribute it could be one called advanced issue there could be one that could be called help uh, needed issue and all of these like just enable different segments to approach your project and be able to contribute in a certain sense and then let's not forget the code and test like that's like obvious if you write code please also write test don't skip test that's something that that most um, new developers actually forget they are like oh i want to push my project and they push it out and there's no test <laughs> so that doesn't work i have done that i i'm not saying that that the the senior developers or people those who have been in the industry for a long time they have not done it i know my initial first few projects had no test i just push code out and i was like hmm let's see how the world approaches it and then people are like new issue right test I'm like great. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much more to discuss but we just don't have time in the podcast's 45 minutes. But if you want to not merely hear the rest of the episode but see it, we're going to have it on YouTube in just a few weeks. Nishant, I cannot thank you enough not just for this episode but for this season for all the work you've put in for all of the uh support that you've done um i really have i think this whole show has stepped up uh another notch as just because of the research that nishant does offline uh for these episodes um you can always find nishant online uh just look for nis rules that's n i s r u l z um his site crushing c o d e crushing code is uh, nisrules.com You can find obviously his GitHub, uh, everything about Nishant uh, at nisrules slash nisrules.github.io. Twitter, Nisrules. You can probably find him on Facebook at Nisrules. Just Nisrules everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I am. I Nisrules. get that. You get you get a you get a good login ID. Yes. <laughs> and and it just runs with you, and it just stays. This is the last episode formally of the season, but remember that we do have an episode coming up for the WWDC keynote where we're going to live cast that evening uh to talk about what's been announced. We're still waiting to hear on Google IO. It sounds like Google IO is maybe not maybe, we don't know yet. Uh, have you heard anything on Google IO? I think the date's been announced, but uh, it's it's going to be like how Apple did it last year. So everything is going to be online and it's open for mm-hmm. everyone. That's the unique part. Uh yep. anyone can uh, register for it. Maybe we can also add this to the show note that the registration links are actually up. Mhm. So we'll have the dates and we will be uh, live casting those episodes and the shot will be sticking around for those. Yes. So you know, we're not saying completely goodbye to him at this point. It's been a great season. I want to uh to thank uh my my 
producers Joan and Katie. I want to thank Ray Wenderlich for a great season and a great season idea to work with Living by the Code, a fantastic book, which we will, of course, keep in the show notes for this episode. If you haven't read it, it is just a wealth of material that is surprising in very, very small four to six page chapter chunks uh, with a lot of the people we've talked to and so many more that are so well known that we haven't had a chance to talk to this season. Other than those two episodes, of course, we'll be back in about a month and a half, two months with our next season. And I don't have any spoilers for it just yet, but we've got some ideas in the pipeline. So I want to thank Nishant immensely one last time. Thank you for doing this for us, Nishant. Thank you. This was uh, pretty much very good for me also. I enjoyed this episode and I'm 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 happy that we were able to do this. We were able to touch on good points also. Yeah. That's going to wrap things up for this episode and we will see you again soon. In the meantime, we send it back to Ray in the end and the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.